Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. He was angry, probably more angry than he could remember ever being. He could feel his face grow hot as he grew more angry. And this had all been growing out of hand, but but now, now as they had caught one of these terrorists to their country, they tried to confront the terrorists, and, and, and he just continued to hurl insults. Things only grew more and more out of hand. And so he continued to press in closer with the mob as they confronted the terrorists, and he stumbled. And he looked down, and there was a large, jagged stone on the ground. And he looked around and saw others picking up stones off the ground. They were going to kill him. They weren't just sick of what men like him had done to their country. They were passionately filled with hate, with uh, disgust. And so he grabbed the jagged stone off of the ground and he drew his arm back. And the terrorists continued to talk. But eventually, the pummeling sound of stones drowned out and eventually stopped him. The mob gathered around the body and took his clothes and laid them at the feet of a man who was leading the charge to rid their country of this despicable movement. This movement had threatened everything that Israel stood for. It it challenged everything about their structure and their way of life. They had been comfortable. And then this man comes seemingly out of nowhere and starts to declare himself as God? As the God that they had been waiting for? Somehow, he had amassed a large following for himself. The religious were watching as their friends and families were turning their backs on everything they knew to join something that they felt challenged the very core of their Jewish culture and tradition. And so Israel responded. They treated the Christians as terrorists. They put them on trial. They killed them. And somehow in the midst of all of this, if you were to to lay out a map of the world, you would have a hard time drawing a small enough dot to pinpoint the start of this movement in Jerusalem. But we never see it stop. We don't even see the growth start to slow down. We see Christianity extend towards the ends of the world through some of the most surprising people. And this is how the church found breakthrough. And so if you're just joining with us, this is the last sermon in a series that we've been calling Breakthrough, where we've just wanted to take the time and look at the early church and the things that went well and the things that didn't go well. And look at how did this church thrive the way that they did? How did they they move and, and reach as many people the way that they did? 
And so this man, who was accused of being a terrorist, this man Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we're going to pick up the story. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But catch this, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so before we get into the rest of the sermon, I need you to get this. I need you to see that the defining factor that led to this movement being what it was, what set this aside from every other movement, because we, if, you, if you go back and you read through the book of Acts, there are a lot of movements that started, and some of the Christians were accused of being a part of a different movement, and they were like, hey, we thought we killed the leader, and th- that that stopped. And yet somehow when they killed the leader of Christianity, it exploded. It kept moving. And so what was the difference in this movement? What changed everything in this movement? And this is it. Jesus told his followers, listen, it's better for you that I'm leaving. Because if I leave, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And the power that you'll have through the Holy Spirit, the wisdom that you'll have through the Holy Spirit, the influence that you'll be able to have through the Holy Spirit, the things that you'll be able to accomplish for my kingdom with the Holy Spirit pouring over the whole world and not just one man in an individual static location are the things you could accomplish. And the Holy Spirit was moving in this church. The Holy Spirit was moving in ways that he could not be stopped. And so see, it wasn't that Stephen was such a spiritual man. It wasn't that Stephen's miracles were so profound. It wasn't wasn't that Stephen was a good speaker. It wasn't anything to do with Stephen other than the fact that he was a man who was willing to say yes to God, no matter the consequences. This was a man who was all in for better or for worse. He recognized that there is nothing in this life worth giving my my life to other than Jesus himself. And so I am all in. And the things that the Holy Spirit was willing to do through a man like that, that, that's where the Holy Spirit was able to step in and start to accomplish some of these wild things that we read in the book of Acts. And what we see following this is, uh, this crazy story is something that simply could not have happened without the power of the Holy Spirit. The men who had a problem with Stephen, and, and they realized that there was nothing that they could do to oppose him because they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they came up with a plan. They were gonna lie about him. They were gonna say that he was speaking blasphemies that he wasn't speaking. And that was a big deal in this culture, to speak against the religion of this culture. And so they lied about him. And people were angry. People were angry to the point that they were willing and ready to kill him. And in the midst of the mob, Stephen clearly preaches the gospel to all of the people. He tells them about King Jesus, about what he's done, about what he's doing. 
He confronts their religion and how they've missed the point. And he shows it to them from their own scriptures. And as their arms are being pulled back with the stones in hand, he just keeps going. Because what is my life if not just to be laid down at the feet of Jesus? I mean, the the conviction of this man should boggle our minds. It should challenge us where we stand right now. And so as as Stephen confronts these people, they get angry. I mean, they, they were already angry, and now things are just getting worse. Stephen's become to them a terrorist who's challenging and threatening their very way of life. And so they begin to get so angry that the mob is gritting their teeth together while they plot what their next step is. And that's when they find the stones. And that's when the story of Stephen ends. But look at this, Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Speaking of Stephen in the midst of this mob, as the stones are pummeling him, it says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Or in other words, he died. Listen, nothing will happen in the church without radical obedience to the Holy Spirit. And this, this isn't the story of every Christian, right? This isn't what we see of every Christian. But every Christian who accomplished something tremendous was willing and ready for this. They were obedient no matter what the cost because, like Paul says, the worst that this world can throw at me has nothing on the best that I'll see of Christ. There's no comparison. Why live in mediocrity for my whole life when I could have glory for eternity? And that's what consumed the minds of these men. And and this is something that it needs to be so radical that the world around us can't deny the work of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. This is why we see places like uh, Kenya and like South America and Iran are some of the fastest growing places for Christianity in the world. Because as people are being persecuted, they are so filled with the Holy Spirit that they see just like this. They're so consumed with the thought of Jesus that the worst that this world has can't come close to the future glory that they have in Christ. But I also want you to notice this. Doesn't this sound a lot like Jesus? Right? I mean, Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize the magnitude of what they've just done by putting God in flesh on the cross and murdering him. Don't hold this against them. And then we see Stephen. Listen, WWJD, right? We, we know the phrase, what would Jesus do? We've got it on bracelets, not as much now that it's not the 90s, but most of you still know, right? Bracelets, t-shirts, all over the place. It's something people would say for a long time. What would Jesus do? This is what Jesus would do. We, we use this as something like, oh, I've got this hard decision in my life, and so, so what would Jesus do? Would he buy uh, the house on the east side of town or the west side of town? West side of town sure feels more comfortable, and, right? But no, this is what Jesus would do. This is when Stephen asked the question, WWJD, this is what it looked like. This is what he was all about. This was radical, 
This was undeniable obedience to the Holy Spirit and, and, and such a radical commitment to living like Jesus. Because if Jesus is your king, you're all in or you're not at all. Jesus isn't calling people to dip their toe in the water. And this isn't, I mean, if, if, if you're new to Christianity, if you're checking this out, by all means, Jesus let people dip their toe in the water. But as soon as they made that commitment and said, all right, Jesus, we're going to follow you, then leave everything behind. I'm all you have now. I'm all you'll ever need now. And Stephen and the early church, they were all in. No matter what it took, they were all in. And then something crazier happens from there. If you keep reading through the story of Acts, you find, uh, you, you find out how this was the fuel that caused the movement of Christianity to move from beyond this little blip on a map called Jerusalem to spreading all over the world. This, this moment that we're reading about right here, this is the fuel, the catalyst that drove Christianity to the point that it would lead to you and me being in a Christian church right here this morning. Because this is what led to the, the clothes that were led at the feet of the man who charged against Christianity with more vengeance and violence than anybody else in the world. We would see him convert to Christianity. And as they were in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and, and just spreading around the little areas of Israel, it was that man Saul who had his name changed to Paul that went to the known world and spread Christianity everywhere he could. You know, a few years back, uh, I went to Adventure Park in Visalia. You guys are all familiar with Adventure Park, right? Okay, no hands, but I heard some yes, so I'll take it. Uh, so see, here's what you have to understand. I am one of the worst possible people to try and have fun with, <laughs> because I am someone who always has to be accomplishing something right? So there's like, you go to Adventure Park, you get the tokens and everything, you can do whatever, you can play these games, and uh, there's like the race car games, there's the shooting games, you can even, you can go outside, and they got these go-karts that drive around the, the thing and all that, and, and I mean, okay, sure, great, all of those things are fine, but I'm the guy who takes his tokens, and there's, you know the machines that have like, you just drop the token in it and hope it lands in the right spot, and if it does, you get a whole bunch of tickets coming out the other side, right? I'm that guy. Like, it's not even a game. I'm just... This is how I do fun, right? I'm just... Because I'm like, man, if I can get enough tickets, then I can go get a prize, and I can take that home with me. And while all y'all guys are done playing with your go-karts and everything, and then you're all bored at home, guess who's got toys at home? Because I actually decided to accomplish something with my time, right? But... Turns out I am not the normal when it comes to these sorts of things, and normal people just like to go have fun for the sake of having fun. Weird, but I'll leave it up to you guys there. So one of the things that normal people do at places like this, at arcades and everything, is there's this game called whack-a-mole, right? And whack-a-mole is not fun because you can't win, right? Like, like, at what point have you won the game? You get this hammer, and these little moles pop up, and you hit them as many as you can until the time runs out, and when the time runs out, you put another token in until the time runs out, and you keep hitting the moles. And it's like, how many times do I have to whack these moles until I have to stop whacking these moles? Because they just keep coming, right? You can't win. But see, that was the early church. Like, these guys were coming through, and they're whacking moles all over the place. They're trying to stop it, but the enemy can't win. 
The church just keeps popping up. It just keeps moving. It keeps getting stronger. And every time they see that time tick out, another round starts, and the church just keeps popping back up and moving and moving and moving. And man, this had to be exhausting for the enemy to watch these moles that I guess in this illustration are Christians just (laughs) keep popping back up, just keep moving, keep spreading. And there was nothing they could do to stop it. And this is still the case. This wasn't just the early church. This is still the case. This is still why the church is here today. This is why it's still growing. People are still encountering Jesus in real and radical ways. And the enemy keeps losing. Now, this is important, church. If you, check back, if you checked out, I want you to check in here because we've spent the past seven or so weeks talking about breakthrough. And I need you to know something. As we've looked at the explosive growth of the early church, uh, we oftentimes read it just as historical value, right? This is just something that Luke wrote down to get the historical record straight and all of that. But we don't let it capture our imaginations. We don't let it craft vision. We don't let it drive us into the future. But I think that while we were given this for some historical value, I think God also wants this to drive us into the future. He wants this to capture our imaginations. And so what I want to do is I want to help capture your imagination by proving to you that this is real and that it's still happening and that it's not just something historical that worked right after Jesus died and rose from the grave, but this is something that's still happening. There are real churches in America and other countries even that are experiencing explosive growth. Last week, Frank was here, and, and I think Pastor Frank did a phenomenal job filling in for me, and uh, he asked you a question. He asked, what kind of organizational chaos might it create for us if next Sunday we had to run two services because there were so many people here, right? I mean, you guys are, are sitting out there not planning things, so maybe, maybe that just kind of, oh, yeah, that's interesting, and you just let it go. No, 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 I'm bringing this back to you because I want you to sit and think. Picture this, you're in charge of how Sunday services function. You're in charge of making sure there's a space for everybody, of organizing the order of events that happen on Sunday, making sure nobody leaves this building unhappy. And suddenly, next Sunday, we have to have two services, and you didn't have time to plan for this, right? What kind of organizational chaos might that cause? Let that thought capture your imagination. Let that thought consume you, because I need you to realize that even now in the world that we live in today, those kinds of things are happening. There are churches currently experiencing this problem, For some churches, this isn't an issue of imagination. This is their reality. They're growing at such an unprecedented rate that they got people all over the place scrambling, just trying to figure out how in the world not to keep growing, just how to sustain what seems to have miraculously happened to them. And so I want to give you some examples. I've got a quote here. Pastor Muithi Wanjiao, he's the senior pastor of uh, Mavanu Church in Nairobi, Kenya, and he said this, change a city... Take a continent, win the world. Change a city, take a continent, win the world. Okay, so 
I found this quote in a discipleship book that South Valley actually just started to use for their small groups. Uh, and just the sheer boldness behind it caught my attention. And so I had to know more. I, I started looking this up to find out what was, what was behind this guy. What kind of a church does he pastor? What's happening in their church? And so I started by watching a video on the front page of their website. And the senior pastor announced that they have campuses in 10 different countries. And so I went and I started looking at their locations, and at least one of those countries isn't listed yet. But they had the following. Listen, one in Berlin, one in Zambia, one in Malawi, one in DRC, one in Ethiopia, one in Burundi, one in Rwanda, three in Uganda, and 13 in Kenya. That's a total of 23 different locations that this church has started to saturate with the gospel. But then, then the pastor said something else that really caught me off guard. He announced that this year, 2020, they will be celebrating their 15th year as a church. 23 locations in 15 years. Listen, like, I don't want to downplay the growth of South Valley because that was incredible in and of itself, but that was over a period of over 20 years that they reached the point that they were going to start considering a second campus. 23 locations in 15 years. Can you imagine having that kind of growth? The Village Church in Texas. Uh, This one... I love this one because uh, this could easily be our story, right? It starts out so similar to ours. Uh, First Baptist Church found a new pastor in Matt Chandler. And with the new pastor coming came a new name for the church. And they became the Village Church. And Matt Chandler, I was listening to one of his sermons recently, and uh, he was talking about when he first came to the church and and what what was going on then, what that looked like. And when he came to the church... They grew by 100 people per week for 10 years. Let that rattle around in your brains for a little bit. 100 people per week for 10 years. I mean, this is, this is insane. They're, every, everything that they did was just running around trying to figure out how in the world do we facilitate this? We don't have the locations to make this happen. We don't know what to do. And so they just started going out and dying churches were like, hey, you look like you need some land to get people into church. Take our property. And so they took the property and started filling it up. And then more people started coming. And so they, they, they've got all these campuses all over the place. And now they're working at separating those campuses and relaunching them as their own separate campuses, working to now become what they call themselves the quickest or the quickest uh, shrinking church in all of America because they've built all of this up and now they're sending all of these people out because of unprecedented growth. Now, don't get confused. That's the Village Church in Texas. Now, I'm going to talk about Village Church in Vancouver, okay? Two different places, unrelated, have nothing to do with each other. Village Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Canada. Uh, Mark Clark pastors Village Church in Vancouver, and he currently pastors over 6,000 people at six different locations. But as I'm sure you can guess at this point, didn't start that way, right? Mark pastors in Canada, which has become a post-Christian culture, basically meaning that it's, it's something that the people in Canada aren't just not Christians, they're actively opposed to Christianity. 
The, the work that they put into their culture is to rid society of Christianity. And it's in that that Mark pastors 6,000 people, most of which are single men in their 20s, which, if you didn't know, is the largest group of unchurched people in North America. And that's who he's reaching. So he started a church in his townhouse with 16 people. In January of 2010, he actually launched the church at an elementary school with 50 people. By the time they grew to 100 people, they decided, uh, they cast vision right then. They said, we are going to be a church that reaches across Canada. We're going to set up different locations. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're, we're not here just to reach Vancouver. We're here to reach Canada. And they had 100 people. And so they end up growing to 1,200 people running three services at that elementary school. And in July of 2010, two years later, they moved to a larger facility. That fall, they grew by over 400 people in one week. By November, they had grown by over 900 people. And within a year, they had grown by over 1,500 people. This had become a problem for them. They were growing so quick, they didn't know what to do. They maxed out their space, and they ran into organizational chaos. So they decided to make the biggest move they'd ever made, and they launched a second campus. Launch week, week one of the new campus, over 1,300 people showed up in their first week. Right now, in 2020, this church still doesn't have their own church building. They're still renting out of schools. And so... Dealing with the organizational chaos, they're now, because they've grown so much, they decided they're going to, they bought some land to build their own property and, and all of that. The problem is they've grown so much that just to facilitate the growth that they've had and are continuing to have, they're trying to raise $50 million to be, build the facility that they need because of unprecedented growth. I mean, what horrible problems, but wonderful problems all at the same time, Right? And this, these are just three examples. This is happening all over the place. And you know what all of these churches have in common? They all had vision for unprecedented growth. And the people of the church, not just the pastor, the people of the church bought into it. They were all in. And the other part that all these churches had in common, they all went after culture. They all had decided, we're going to change our culture. We're going to change the way that people live, the way that they experience life. They weren't just about making a big church for the sake of making a big church, because what's the point of that? Nobody wins in that. They were just about reaching their community and growing the kingdom of God in unprecedented ways. And they were all about radically transforming their cities and watching the kingdom trickle into all these different areas all over their communities. Kind of just like Jesus told us to do. Kind of just like Jesus himself modeled for us. So listen, don't tell me this can't happen. Don't tell me that this unprecedented growth in the book of Acts is strictly historical at best. This can be us, and I believe it will be us. But we have to start acting this way if we ever want to see it happen. That's why we've been doing these prayer cards 
That's why we handed these out and, and we gave you five blanks to fill in, to pray for people and to invite them this year. Because I believe that there's a city of 60,000 people just waiting to be reached with the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and so listen, this is something that's hard for me especially. To be about that culture change, we have to be in it. If all of your friends are Christians, then we need to start changing some things. We need to start reaching out to new people. We need to start letting broken, messy people into our lives. Frank and I both pointed out that the reoccurring theme in the breakthrough in the early church of Acts, the people were of all mind. They were in it together. They were united. And listen, church, I am all in. I am moving forward with this, and I so desperately want you to be a part of this with me. I want to do this together. Because listen, at the end of all of this, when I stand face to face with my creator, I don't want to tell him, God, I did my best that I could with 100 people. In a city of 60,000, I don't see him being excited about that. Whether, whether we grow or not, I want to say, God, I did my best with all 60,000 of the people that you put me in the midst of. And I tried to even reach beyond that number. It's not about numbers for the sake of numbers, but when numbers represent souls, that's when it matters to me, and that's when it should matter to all of us. So I want to share one more verse with us, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Do me a favor, memorize this passage. Now to him who is able to do far more, say that again with me, now to him who is able to do what? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. I am asking for breakthrough. I think that we will see breakthrough. I am expecting God to do far more than even I have imagined. Now, there's one key component left. Each of these churches, including the church in the beginning of Acts, they realized that they could not do this of their own power. They had to lean in to the power of God and trust that he was going to move and that's exactly what we have been and will continue to do. So a few weeks back, uh, I asked the church to fast and pray with me for the growth of this church. And I thought that one of the most appropriate ways that we could bring this fast to a close would be to have communion together, to sit in the presence of Jesus and just turn this all over him. That God, we are praying, we are moving, we are mobilized for you, but just to take a moment to sit and recognize that God, this is all in your hands, and we're trusting you with this. And I will do, and we will do whatever it takes to see the kingdom of God reach 60,000 people here in the city of Porterville. And when we get there, we'll keep going. And, and I do want to give a little bit of an explainer to you as we come to this point. Uh, if you're new here with us, just know that communion is something that Jesus gave to his followers. He simply told us that as often as we do it, we remember him. So if you're new here, if you're just checking this out, uh, then when we pass out these cups and the spread, just, just go ahead and pass them on by. Uh, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. We're not trying to exclude you. In fact, if anything, this is something that Jesus called to be between him and his followers as a moment of intimacy. And we would love to invite you into that relationship with Jesus. And so for those of us who are followers of God, let's take this seriously. 
Let's prayerfully press into this time of communion, believing in what God wants to do among us and in our city. Let us come into this moment remembering the miracle of the resurrection. That when the followers of God thought that all hope was lost, Jesus came out of that grave. What was dead came back to life. And when I look at the people in the city, my heart breaks for all of the dead souls that are walking among us. We're not here to make bad people good. We're here to make dead people alive. And so as we take communion, I want us to reflect back on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but also look forward and pray for that resurrection that he promises to bring resurrection life to our church and to the city of Porterville. So I'm going to ask our ushers at this time if they would go ahead and come forward. And uh, what they're going to do is they're going to go ahead and they're going to pass out all of the communion trays to you. And um, we're just going to ask that you, as you take the, the grape juice and as you take the bread, that you would just hold on to those for a moment because we all want to take these together. And as they're passing these out, I'm going to do something a little bit unorthodox with you, okay? I want to take this time for us to just take a moment to reflect, to pray as they're passing these out. But as they're passing them out, you're probably going to have to keep your eyes open so that you can take the cup and the bread from them. That's okay. You're actually allowed to pray with your eyes open and your head up and all that. It's fine. Uh, but I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray for us as they pass these out. And uh, just go ahead and take the cup and the bread, hold on to them, and then we'll take all these together. And so God, we come to you this morning thankful for you working among us. We thank you for what you've done in and through us already. We thank you for uh, the history of this church and what it's been able to accomplish. And we just ask that you would keep pressing this church forward. Each of the people in here this morning, God, I am praying for you to work in and over their lives, that your Holy Spirit would work in them in mighty and incredible ways. God, we're praying for you to move in this city, for you to move in this church. And we pray that you would mobilize us as a community to be a church that would welcome in the sinners and the broken and the hurting and the struggling, the people who have no relationship with God, that you would move in us to be your hands and feet to those people. God, we are praying for unprecedented growth, that you would bring people into your church to clearly hear the love of Jesus to hear how passionate you are about them, to hear how good you are. And God, we believe that you're going to move. We are asking, we are thanking, and we expect you to do even more than we can comprehend. God, we look back at the history of your crucifixion and all hope seemed lost when your followers saw you on that cross. Everything was gone. Everything they'd been working for, everything they'd been moving towards was gone. And yet, life is what you still brought. Life is what you were all about because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so God, we ask, looking back at that life, we ask looking forward in this community that you would bring that resurrection power that you would bring that to our church and to our community, that you would move in incredible ways. God, we trust you, we love you, and we leave all of this in your hands. That's in Jesus' name.